May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to be here with you today. So I was told on the way out of the first service I needed to repent of my sins because at the first service I said that I'd stayed up too late watching the game and it was stressful and I couldn't sleep last night, but I was very happy with the result. And so someone told me I needed to repent. Well, I am unrepentant, so pray for me, a sinner. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be here with you all today, and I just want to thank Caleb and Aubrey because we have a lot of new equipment. We finally got a new monitor in the back, we've got some new mics, and not everything is hooked up yet as it should be, so they are making do with what we have, so I really have to thank them this morning. So I want to talk to you today about this passage from Matthew 25. Um, it seems like the last few weeks it's all been about getting ready, you know, preparing, loving your neighbor. Uh, Father Tom, of course, said he was preaching on hell, fire, and brimstone last week, so that, that's thrown in there too. But today we're kind of still in that, we need to be ready kind of situation. And the big idea for today is really that God judges the heart. God really judges our heart. This passage today from Matthew is often called the parable of the sheep and the goats. Even though it's not really a parable, um, we've been hearing different parables in Matthew 25, and now J Jesus has switched to simple language at this point. Um, but it's still called that. And they really kind of break it up into four areas, this teaching. So it starts with the setting at the return of Christ and the separation of the nations in verses 31 to 33. Uh, then we move on to the reward to those on the right who cared for the people and thus cared for Christ himself in 34 to 40. And then the judgment of those on, on the left who refused to care for people and ultimately have rejected Christ in verses 41 to 45. And then in conclusion of this in verse 46, it's on the punishment and reward of those either being on the left or the right. I was saying at the early service that I love that we have a lectionary. I love that we follow a lectionary, that we have this, that we don't do topical preaching here. We really don't say like, oh, this, this month we're going to do a series on this, and then we go find the scripture that goes with it. We do expository preaching, and so we follow the scriptures as they're given to us, and we build what the big idea is off of that, and we just kind of take it verse by verse. And I said one of the things I love about it is when I'm preparing for a sermon is I'm really just studying the Bible studying the Bible, and I would encourage you, we're moving into the season of Advent, next year we have the new church, or next week we have the new uh, church calendar year starting, so our primary gospel reading will be Mark, and I would just encourage you in Advent, if you're not doing this already, to pick up your Bibles, just start in the Gospel of John, or Matthew, or Mark, just go through one of those Gospels, start reading it as we prepare for the birth of Christ, and really do this expository studying, where you just go through it verse by verse, by verse, because you'll be amazed at how much you learn. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this sermon, because it starts off pretty simple, this passage, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and with all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And as you read that, you think that's pretty straightforward, it's, it's easy to get at. 
And so when I was studying this, though, you know, of course, the purpose of the judgment is who is determined who's going to in, enter the kingdom of God, who are the sheep. But see, throughout history, there's been all sorts of different interpretations of what this means, all the nations, all the nations. And it's amazing how many books have been written about it, how many commentaries there are. And that's why I just encourage you, if you haven't really just gone through a book of the Bible and studied it line by line, I would encourage you to do that because you will learn so, so much. It'll be very deep. So as I was preparing for this and these different interpretations of all the nations, I ran across this um, book from a Catholic priest named Sherman Gray, and he wrote this book called The Least of My Brothers, Matthew 25, 31 to 46, A History of Interpretation. And so in his mind, there's kind of five different options that this can be speaking about, this all the nations. And he said it could be all people, it could be all Christians, it could be all non-Christians, it could be all the Gentiles, it could be all the Christians who are alive at the second coming. And he kind of unpacked each one of those and talked about, you know, the, the basis for why it could be each one of those things. And he said in his conclusion, he believed it was for all people, that this was a judgment for all people. Now, I would, I would say I, I agreed with that. And then I delved into some other commentators and I said, well, they really made a good case that it's just the Gentiles. And they've really made it just a good case that's this. And so I said, Lord, so I kind of I went off of all people and I, I wrote my sermon. And in typical Matthew fashion, I had to change something. This time it was not what I was preaching on. It was just God said, you know, think about who you're preaching to. Who's your audience? And it reminded me as I was praying about it on Friday and thinking, am I going to have to rewrite this sermon? I thought about this passage from Matthew 7 that said that, said, that Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And it kind of reminded me, I thought, how many times do we sit in church because we're supposed to sit in church? How many times do we come and we think, ah, I'm doing this out of duty or obligation or because I know I'm supposed to do it. But am I coming here because I've had an encounter with Jesus? Am I coming here today because I've had an encounter with the living God and I want to know him better and I want to serve him better? You know, are we coming because it's just what we do? And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you today in the judgment of the sheep and the goats is that there will be people that are distinguished between being a Christian and being a Christian in name only. He will distinguish between who sat in the churches who did things and said they knew him, but they actually didn't. There'll be a separation of the hypocrites from the real, the false from the true. And of course, what I hope for all of us here is that we are counted as part of the sheep. I liked what commentator William Barclay had to said. He said, this judgment is not based on our biblical knowledge or how much faith we had or the fame that we acquired or the fortune that we gained, but on the help that we have given. It is a life that has been transformed by Christ. 
Barclay went on to say, it's help too in the simple things. Jesus says it's giving a hungry person a meal, someone who is thirsty a drink, welcoming a stranger, cheering the sick, visiting the prisoner. It's simple things that any of us can do. It doesn't take a collar or a degree or great wealth. It's the simple things. And it's also help that comes as a reaction of a loving heart. It doesn't calculate the cost. It's not concerned about being seen or recognized. It is helping because you love others. It is an unconscious, automatic response of a heart that has been filled and changed by the Holy Spirit. They are not planned deeds, contrived, carefully performed for the public eye, or if done in private, they're not done in the hope that they will purchase some merit or favor before God. You know, as I thought about this, I thought, how many in Christ the King fit into that? I think of the ACW last week, we showed the baskets that they had made as Father Don blessed those. And... Um, those ladies got together and decided that they were going to do that, and they brought it up at their meeting, and they brought in stuff, and they thought they'd collect for two or three baskets, and they ended up making five baskets with some stuff left over. And in that, they didn't, weren't even the ones that delivered them. They passed them off to Deacon Karen and Grace Daly to go and deliver. They didn't do it for a photo op. They just did it because they felt called to do it. They did it because their hearts had been changed and they wanted to do something for the least of these for Thanksgiving. It wasn't for recognition. And I think there's so many areas of our church that fall into that, that people serve in, whether it's Stephen ministry or shoeboxes or children's ministry or youth ministry. And they do it not to get recognition. They do it because that's where God has called them. That is where God has called them. And that's wonderful. And that's really wonderful. And the last time I preached, the big idea was to love God and love others. And in a lot of ways, this is an extension of that sermon. Because this is what this judgment's really all about. is what's in our hearts. It's what's in our hearts. Are we loving God first and foremost? And are we putting our neighbor above ourselves? Are we giving of our time and talents and treasures to the needs of others? And so I thought about how will we be a people that Jesus identifies as sheep and not goats. And as I thought about that, I thought we really have to be people that are fixed on a goal. We have to know what the goal is, and that goal is Jesus. That is our goal. That is where our eyes need to be fixed. And I think a great person to look at as an example of that is Paul. After his conversion... It said in Acts, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul went from persecuting the Christians to having that encounter with the living God, being blinded, having the scales fall off, and he was totally changed as a result of that. Have we had an encounter with the living God that's changed us so that we don't think about ourselves first, but that we think of others? that we think of the least of these. Because Paul went out and boldly proclaimed the gospel because his heart had been changed. And people saw that change and he treated people differently as a result of that encounter with Christ. You see, Paul lived his life focused on the goal, the upward call 
of Christ Jesus. Later he tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul had it really rough after he converted. He was persecuted pretty hard, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown in jail, conditions were usually pretty bad for him, he was run out of towns, he had to leave in the night for fear for his life, and yet Paul continued to do what God had called him to do because he kept his eyes fixed on the goal. And as a result of that, everything he did changed. You know, I was thinking about how trouble we are in focusing today. I think as good as technology is and how much it's helped us, it's also made us easily distracted, I think. We are looking at our phones, checking social media, driving our cars while texting, eating, listening to music, putting on makeup, whatever it is. We're always trying to do more and more things. We never are just focused on what we, the task at hand, it seems like. You know, I thought about this on Friday. I was putting up my Christmas tree. I had laundry going, and the laundry stopped, and I said, oh, I need to go put it in the dryer. And on the way to the dryer, I noticed that the sink had a dirty dish in it, and God forbid there's a dirty dish in my kitchen sink. So I washed the dish. And I noticed that the recycling needed to be taken out, so I took it out. Well, then I noticed something was going on with the front porch, so I fixed that. Forty minutes later, I ended up back in the house decorating the Christmas tree, and I went, what was I doing? Oh, the clothes. The clothes need to go in the dryer still. So the clothes finally made it in the dryer, but I couldn't even keep my eye on the goal of putting the clothes in the dryer for two seconds because I noticed all the other things. And unfortunately, that's kind of how we live our spiritual lives when we're following Jesus. We have our eyes on him, and then all of a sudden we say, oh, this looks really good. Oh, I got to go do this and this and this, and we start doing those things. And finally we get back and say, oh, Lord, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? The best thing someone said to me once is they said, you got to keep things in order because so much is out of order today. And it's out of order because we're not keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. That's the problem. If we want to be a sheep, we have to keep focused on that goal, on Jesus. Otherwise, we're never going to see the needs of the, the least of these amongst us because we're always going to be concerned with our own needs primarily. And it's true. It really is true. We're always concerned about our comfort, the things that we need, the things that we want. And that happens when we're not looking at Christ, because if we're not looking at Christ, we're usually looking at ourselves. You know, I think of Solomon. In chapter 3 of 1 Kings, it says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David. However, by chapter 11 of 1 Kings, it says he lost sight of what God had called him to. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Other things got in the way. Now, I liked what Deacon Karen asked this morning. She goes, can you bounce back and forth between being a sheep and a goat? And then a goat and a sheep. And Father Don said, well, no, there's disobedient sheep. You see, when you've really had an encounter with the living God and been changed by him and accepted him and asked for forgiveness, you're saved. But at times, we all do take our eyes off the goal, off Jesus. We do 
that, and we do become a disobedient sheep at times. Thankfully, we have a God that's right there with us, calling us, calling us, calling us, and if we turn around, he's right there. He is right there. 1 John chapter 2 reminds us, do not love the world or anything in the world, because how often we start to see those things and love them more than what God is calling us to. In one of my seminary classes in my first semester, we had to take a class called the vocation of ministry. And it really was just looking at, you know, why we were, why we were going into ministry. What was the purpose? Were we called to do it? Or was there some other underlying reason why? And um, in that class, they kept saying, what are you seeking? Are you seeking the Lord and his call? Or are you really seeking other things? And one of the books or papers we had to read in the class, I don't remember, talked a lot about how often the American pastor today seeks things like money, power, and pride over God's people. And the reading that they used to talk about all that came from Matthew 25. It was this reading that we read today with the sheep and the goat. And it talked about how many pastors today really fall into the goat's category. And they fall into that category because they're more concerned with those three big things, money, power, and pride. But I think that can be true of all of us. We can search out those things as kind of the big things in life over the goal of Christ Jesus. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Because if you're seeking that first, you're not, your goal will not be money or power or pride. I think if you look at Jesus, who had all the power... He never used that power for his own benefit, according to Matthew 26. He never used that power to his own benefit. He could have called down the angels and removed himself from the cross, but he didn't. Because he knew what the goal was. He knew why his father had sent him. And when I think of pride, I always think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But humbly consider others better than yourselves. See, if we're loving God first, the least of these, the others, are always going to come ahead of ourselves. Money, power, and pride are those big areas that can often keep us from being a sheep, that keep us from loving and helping the least of these. And as Christians, these things creep in when we stop listening and learning from the Scriptures. We really have to be a people that are in the Word daily. We can't just say, eh, I'll let it go. I'll sleep a little longer this morning. I'm too tired tonight. I'd rather watch the football game. It's true. Those are things that take precedence sometimes over the Scriptures. But I think in order for us not to fall into the category of being a goat or being concerned with things of the world, it really comes down to us listening and learning from the scriptures. It really comes down to that. You know, it talks in Luke chapter 2 that even Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and grace. And later in Matthew, Jesus says, learn from me. And the only way you're going to really learn from Jesus is if you're in the word. If you're in the scripture, if you're reading your Bible each day. In Proverbs, it says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. You see, learning is such an important piece 
That's why I encourage you as we go into Advent, so often in Lent is when we think about, oh, we'll take on something in Lent. We'll read our Bibles more. We'll have a set prayer time. We'll have our quiet time. Or we'll give something up and use that time to grow closer to Christ. Really, Advent is also a season of preparing. Preparing for Jesus' birth. We need to use that time. Because I guarantee you, if you do this for the whole season of Advent, spend time in the Word, go through it, study it, line by line, it's going to change you. Because you're going to continue on doing it in January and in February and all through next year. Because once you start it, you'll be different when you start listening and learning from the scriptures. You know, and if we're struggling in some area, I always think of Psalm 139 that says, Search me, O God. Before you start studying your scriptures, I would say ask God to reveal to you where you are falling short. You know, I hope we're people that are enthusiastic like Paul in Acts and the disciples when they say we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We should be so excited about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, what God is doing. We should be running out and telling people and sharing it, and people should be seeing Jesus in us, and our interactions with people should be based on that. It shouldn't be based on, if I hang out with this person, is this going to make me not look right? Is hanging out with this person? I think God's calling me there, but oh, I don't want to be around them. Because we do that sometimes. We do that. We should be very enthusiastic about what God is calling us to do because we know if we're doing it, we're doing it with him. And he'll be right there with us no matter how hard and difficult it gets. We can stand like Paul. Or I think of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the fiery furnace. And I think of him when he's standing there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they say, you know, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We're not going to serve these things, Nebuchadnezzar. We're not doing it. And we're not doing it because we are keeping our eyes on the goal of Christ Jesus our Lord. Are we that way? Would we stand that boldly? Would we stand that boldly in ministering to the needs of others? And saying we're not going the way of the world, but we're going the way that Jesus has called us to do. I hope we are those people. If we're going to stand the test, if we're going to be people who know Jesus, help the least of these, and in doing so serve Christ, we really have to be people of integrity. In Mark 12, 14 it says, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You are not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Are we people that are boldly standing in integrity and proclaiming the truth to those that we meet? To do this, I think we really have to be accountable. So are we willing to be accountable in our lives? You know, when Paul wrote Timothy, he said, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a high responsibility. We have to know what it is we're saying. We have to be really fixed and standing firm in order to go out. Because if we do, it saves both yourself and your hearers. It's a big call. 
We must keep our eyes focused on the goal. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, in the end, we will be counted as people who loved others, loved the least of these, loved Jesus, and placed on the right. Or we could be people that are placed on the left because we said we loved Jesus while we did not serve others. Or maybe we did serve others, but we did it for recognition. We did it for our own glory, our own fame. I hope we're a people that will be counted as sheep and not goats. Aubrey? I hope when our time comes, we'll be like Paul and be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. And we can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, and be counted as a sheep. Amen.